When the prophet Amos walked down the main drag, it was like a shootout in the Old West. Everybody ran for cover. His special target was the beautiful people, and shooting from the hip, he never missed his mark. He pictures the beautiful people sleek and tanned at Palm Beach, Acapulco, Saint-Tropez. They glisten with band de soleil. The stereo is piped out over the marble terrace. Another tray of Bloody Marys is on the way. A vacationing bishop plunges into the heated pool. With one eye cocked on them, he has his other cocked on the unbeautiful people, the varicose veins of the old waiter, the pasty face of the starch-fed child, the Indian winos passed out on the railroad siding, the ragged woman fumbling for food stamps at the checkout counter. When justice is finally done, Amos says, there will be hell to pay. The happy hour will be postponed indefinitely because the sun will never make it over the yard arm. The cashmere sweaters, the tangerine-colored slacks, the flowered lilies will all fade like grass. Nothing but a few chicken bones will mark the place where once the cold buffet was spread out under the royal palms. But according to Amos, it won't be the shortage of food and fun that will hurt. It will be the shortage of hearing the words of the Lord. Toward the end, God will make himself so scarce that the world won't even know what it's starving to death for. That vignette is from the brilliant and witty theologian Frederick Beekner, who manages to put a 3,000-year-old message from a prophet in the Old Testament into pretty easily convicting terms for you and I today. It captures the essence of that message in a way that just speaks to us today. The prophet Amos was known for that direct and uncompromising message to God's people. And I just love Beekner's image of him as a gunslinger in the Wild West. <laughs> Amos just simply unflinchingly told people what they did not want to hear. Because they had failed over and over again to put God first and to put people first, they would be harshly judged, he told them. And in this particular reading, which we heard this morning from Amos chapter 8, God's consequence for the people is that they will no longer hear his voice. He says the day is coming when there will be a famine in the land, but not a famine of food, not a famine of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will run to and fro seeking it, but they will not find it. God will make himself so scarce that the people will not even know what it is they're starving for. Amos is the messenger here, but make no mistake, God is the one who's ticked off. God calls the people out on their religious hypocrisy. He says, yes, you observe the Sabbath, but you complain about losing profits because you have to shut down your business for one day. 
Through Amos, God points out that they cheat their customers by giving them less grain than they paid for. He says you trample and exploit the needy and the poor. He says you give little and you take much. Amos is basically delivering God's final blow. The people have been warned. They have continually mistreated the poor and the needy. They have consistently failed to be just and righteous. This is the last straw. And it's the worst kind of punishment. God is threatening to remove himself from his people. I don't know about you, but it seems to me sometimes that Amos could just as easily have been talking about us now, 21st century Christians. I wonder if we are headed toward a famine because I don't know how else to explain some of what we see and hear. Division, cruelty, bitterness, taunting, Cheating, fear, hatred, greed, self-medication, addiction, lack of compassion, violence, the list goes on and on. And when I read Amos now, 3,000 years later, I hear God saying to all of us, stop, just listen to me, hear my voice. And I do believe that God still speaks to us today. We might be perilously close to that famine, but I think it has more to do with, as a function of our ability to listen than it does God's punishment. Just think about the busyness of our lives, the cacophony of voices and sounds and distractions that we deal with day in and day out, which compete with the voice of the divine. God doesn't rant from street corners. God isn't the voice that we hear and anchor on cable news network. God doesn't scream at you on talk radio or bombard you with ugliness on social media. God's voice is still. It is small. It is quiet. The ability to hear it requires our full attention and stillness. Many people today would tell you they don't hear God's voice, or if they ever did, they don't anymore. They feel they have forgotten how. I bet you've felt God speaking to you at least once in your life. I think God has spoken to me on numerous occasions in my life, though rarely as an audible voice, though I know some people have experienced that. I do recall one time when I believe what I heard was God's audible voice. I was grieving the death of a friend, and in the midst of the tears, I remember this very clear voice saying to me, everything is okay now. And I believe it was God's voice because it certainly wasn't my own in the midst of that, and also because it was followed by an immediate rush of peace. Other times, God's voice has come to me in a whisper or in a little nudge. 
It's come as a flash of insight or a sudden, unmistakable turn of circumstances in my life. It can come when I'm praying, but most often afterward, when something occurs because I've allowed myself to be just totally open. I also feel God talking to me when I listen to sermons or hymns, when I'm reading scripture or other spiritual books. I hear God when I'm walking around the golf course, when I'm sitting on a chairlift. So I don't know about you, but I bet you're like me, and I don't want God to be scarce. I don't want to be in a famine from the word of the Lord. So we have to practice listening. It is critical that we take time to be with God, to study, pray, meditate, seek God, notice the divine presence wherever you are, be quiet. Ironically, God almost shouted that at us in today's reading. In verse 3, God says, be silent, exclamation point. It is critical that we take time to be with God. In the gospel reading today, Jesus is visiting the home of one of his disciples, Martha, and her sister, Mary. Martha was busy, busy hosting, doing all the work, while Mary was relaxing in the other room, sitting with Jesus. And Martha was so irritated with that Mary wasn't helping that she actually went to Jesus and says, Jesus, help me. Tell Mary to get in here and help me. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha. And I love the way that that's written. It's almost like the compassion in his voice is written into that reading. Like you and I might say to a child that we love, Johnny, Johnny, it's all going to be okay. So Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by too much. Mary has chosen to be still and sit with me and listen to what I have to say. We get so distracted by the world, sometimes even in our service to Jesus. But unless we take the time to attentively and intentionally be with Jesus, we may not hear what we need to. And we most certainly will forfeit some of our peace. Okay, so you might be asking, right, I get it, but how do we know that what we sense is really God talking to us? How do I know it's not just me talking to myself? I do that all the time. We talk to ourselves, we make plans in our heads, we interpret things based on what we like and what we don't like, on our political standing, who we might agree with. So it is so important that we be able to discern what we really are hearing is really from God. Because sometimes we get it wrong. Despite my best intentions, I know I get it wrong sometimes, that's just the way it is. It's human nature. We do our best to hear from God, but we always do so with our own filters. Everything we hear is intermingled with our own prior experiences and our convictions and our beliefs, our values, how we grew up. 
The preacher and writer Rob Bell tells a story about being invited one time to speak at an event with the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu several years ago. He says there were a number of other spiritual leaders in the room, and the purpose of this entire event was to talk about how we can teach compassion to a younger generation so that they will be more peaceful people and less violent. He says it was so inspiring to have these leaders from all over the world, from all different kinds of religions, sharing a vision for a better tomorrow. And then somebody leaned over to Rob Bell and told him that there were protesters outside the building. Now, I don't even know what kind of people wake up in the morning and decide that their best use of their time and energy is to go downtown and protest a discussion about peace. <laughs> and guess what? The protesters were a group of Christians. Now, did the voice of God urge them to go march against peace and compassion in the world? Does the voice of God urge people to post comments and photos on social media that are dehumanizing? Dehumanizing to political leaders, to presidents, to anyone that we happen to disagree with? Is it God's voice that you hear in your head in your quiet moments that suggests that you need to go stick it to that person at work who's been giving you a hard time? Is it God's voice, the hand of God, leading you to harbor ill will toward friends or family who wronged you in your past? Does God's voice criticize your appearance, make you doubt yourself? think you're not good enough? Of course not. Of course not. We need to test what we're hearing. God's voice is gentleness, patience, kindness. Yes, God will challenge us, convict us when we've sinned, but there's a difference between convicting and condemning. The voice of condemnation is not God's. That's that critical, accusing voice that says, shame on you. Convicting is correcting. It helps build strength of character. It says, we've gotten off track somehow and something needs to change. God is convicting, never shaming. Shame is the voice of the accuser evil one. And by the way, if somebody says to you that they've heard the voice of God, but then they relay the message to you in a tone that is harsh and critical and foul and manipulative and divisive, you could bet it probably wasn't God's voice speaking to them. God might tell you to change, but God is rarely going to tell you how to change someone else. God might tell you how to be more loving toward them. God might convict you to go be helpful to them, pray for them, bring a casserole. But it's highly doubtful that God's going to ask you to shame someone on God's behalf. Another way that you can trust that what you're sensing is from God is whether or not it brings you peace. 
Philippians 4 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Go to God in prayer and petition and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Do you sense in your conversations with God a sense of peace? you still might feel challenged or out of your comfort zone, and that's okay because God might be calling you to do something that you've never thought of before, that you've never even imagined for yourself. But there should still be a sense of peace. 1 Corinthians says God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. In fact, another way that you can test what you're hearing And whether or not what you're hearing comes from God is from our scriptures. Does what I hear God telling me agree with the consistent messaging of the Bible? Messages of peace, of love your neighbor. Messages of care and comfort of the needy. Messages to welcome the stranger. Messages of reconciliation and unity and of new life. These are what our Christian faith calls us to, and it's what God will call you to as well. What you're not going to hear from God is selfishness or envy. God doesn't call us to lies or to manipulation. When we have disagreement, God doesn't call us to run people out of town, chanting and shouting, don't let the screen door hit you. The true word of the Lord will call us to be pure peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial and sincere, peacemakers. Listen, we can be convicted by God, obedient to God, and still be loving. In fact, it's exactly what we're supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus. We are confronted with hard things all the time, in our homes, in our schools, in our communities, in the nation. But we can trust that in difficult circumstances, we are being guided by the Holy Spirit when what we hear requires us to behave in the most loving way, when it's consistent with Scripture and with who Jesus was and is, and when it leads us to peace. Now here's the best part, the good news, the great news actually. When we are attuned to God who is pure and peaceful and loving, impartial, harmonious and sincere, God who is a reconciler, a uniter, a bridge builder, when we empty ourselves of our own selfish human desires and ways, and we connect with our all-powerful, all-loving God, then God's divine presence will rise up in us and we will change the world. My prayer is that, like Mary, we will all just make ourselves comfortable at the feet of Jesus, open-hearted, open-minded, quietly, expectantly waiting for the word of the Lord, which will speak to us. 
So I invite us all now to just a moment of silent prayer as we meet God and listen for God's voice to each of us individually together here this morning. Let us pray.